Hello, and welcome to Starship Podcast Warlock. Uh, that's really all I wanted to do. It's just I wanted to have a chance to say it this time. So, okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay, uh, my name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And my name is Jeremy. Hey, everyone. Uh, we have a guest today on Starship Podcast Warlock. And no, it's not Jeff doing the first part of this. Uh, Jeremy is our guest. He's kindly agreed to uh, come and record with us uh, for Black Adder's Christmas Carol, an episode that I know he particularly likes. Um, not to spoil anything, give anything away. Um, and so uh, we're going to actually be watching this for the second time uh, because we had a little bit of technical difficulties the first time. So Jeremy is doubly wonderful because he's come back to uh, join us uh, twice to watch it. And the reason I mention that is just so that you know we're not doing our usual thing where neither of us have seen the episode for a while and we comment on it from a, a position of kind of remembering everything. Um, now we uh, are experiencing it for the second time, and honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to it because this is one that I like as well. Oh, I thought we were supposed to mind wipe ourselves. Okay. <laughs> I already, I already did it. Thanks. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to top the last one. I mean, that last recording may have been one of the best podcasts in the history of podcasts. This is there true. were a you lot of amazing jokes. It. We laughed through the you whole said. thing. I'm really sorry that you all are not going to get to hear it. You're just going to have to content yourself with this one. Uh, we were up for podcasting awards on the basis of that last one, I would imagine, and now we're not. So, oh well. Well, even just that, you know, you and you, the t you and um, Rowan Atkinson happened to share the same proctologist, and you were able to get him to call in and share some of those just really intimate details. I mean, I don't think that's we'll ever be able to recreate. That. Like, it blows my mind that that happened. It blows my mind, first of all, that he uh, answered my tweet and said, you know, of course I'll call in, and and he actually did it. Uh, it is really remarkable. Um, God, if only we had that audio. Uh, oh, well. I don't know. Well, maybe I'll see him at the proctologist and I'll get him to do a redo. This is, uh, <laughs> along, along with the last episode of uh, The Tenth Planet, this is one of the saddest Missing Believe Wiped uh, incidents in, uh, yes. in all of broadcasting history. Maybe they'll find it in South Africa. Who knows? Oh, that's true. Yes. All right. Well... Uh, be that as it may, we're going to try to reproduce the greatness of that missing episode. Um, before we get too much farther, Jeremy, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself um, and uh, and say uh, kind of how you first encountered Blackadder um, and how you became a fan of the show, and particularly this episode. Um, you and I worked together uh, centuries ago. A, a while ago, <laughs> yeah. I like, I actually, I think it was two other people. It was so long ago. Black in a, back in a different time of uh, technology, I think. Literally a different century. Yep, that's true, that's true. <laughs> um, so how did you first encounter Blackadder? So I think mostly I was watching Doctor Who. Yep. And, you know, at the time, it was just, you know, you could get it on PBS. And so started to just see some of the other you know, British shows that PBS had and Blackadder was one I would catch periodically. And the Christmas special was just freaking brilliant. Mm -hmm. So funny. And to the point at which the next year, because I knew they'd rebroadcast it at Christmas, you know, my parents would get the printed PBS, essentially TV guide equivalent, I guess. Uh -huh. And I was, I was searching through the December to find when it would be broadcast again so I could get it on VHS. And so for years, that's I'd watch it every year, or almost every year, you know, with this old VHS recording that I'd gotten. So obviously mm -hmm. now that's 
not necessary, <laughs> but that's that's how I discovered well, the, the, the Christmas. The speaking Christmas of that's how I watched it. Speaking of last century technology, thinking about VHS first of all, but also the printed TV guide and having to see when a thing would be on is almost not a thing anymore. No, maybe completely not a thing. Like you find yeah. out maybe when it will be released to your streaming service, and that's it. Which, yeah. you know, both of those I think are are positive developments in a lot of ways. But there is a lot of nostalgia is still around. I don't know, man. I I feel like I've seen it still at supermarkets, but I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So, I've been in a know. supermarket for a year, so I don't. I don't know. Anyway, exactly right. <laughs> back to the story. Check out I mean, line at a Walgreens. <laughs> we um. <laughs> We, we, I think, probably got to it a very similar way. I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it was on PBS, but I could be wrong. Um, but I definitely watched Doctor Who on that, and I definitely like tried to tape as many uh, instances of British TV off of uh, television onto VHS as I possibly could. So I, I totally relate to this this vector of Blackadder. So uh, the one of the upsides, I guess, of... Uh, us having just watched this episode is that it gave me an idea for something to talk about, which I actually think is a really interesting topic. Uh, and that topic is playing evil, uh, specifically in video games, uh, but also, I suppose, in any role-playing game. So, you know, Dungeons & Dragons, that sort of thing. Um, and for me, I find that there are some games where I, I can do it, and some games where I just cannot bring myself to be uh, that evil, whether it's like making moral choices in the middle of dialogue, or if it's explicitly saying my character is going to be evil and I'm going to make all the evil choices. Um, Jeremy, you said you had some uh, experience with that. What what was your take on that? Well, I, the way you framed it, I think, was perfect in terms of how, in sometimes, it's really easy to to take on these different roles and, and maybe ones that we wouldn't play in real life. And I think that's in some ways one of the great things about games. It lets us play these personas that we wouldn't or shouldn't play in, in real life and mm -hmm. kind of experience a little bit of what that's like. But I remember one of the first times where I really had a, uh, I felt like I had a choice and it was hard for me even knowing that I, you know, it was a, it was a story based, you know, storyline, uh, campaign. So all NPCs, no real world consequences, but it was mm -hmm. in the, the Splinter Cell series and to get, uh, you know, your your goal is to infiltrate this terrorist cell, and the way you do it is you break the leader out of jail and you help him escape. Mm -hmm. and, and a couple storylines later, the way you had helped him escape was you had, you'd kidnapped or, or hijacked a, a media helicopter, and that's how you got away. And a little ways in, they present you with the pilot of that helicopter, this civilian, and they tell you to execute him. Oh, wow. And then you're given the choice whether to do it or not. And I remember that was the first time going, wow, I know this is a game. And I know that is not a real person in any way. It's not even like another player on the other uh -huh. side of the world. Or, But I really had, I had to stop and think about it. Like, I don't think I want, I don't really want to do this, but I know I have to do this to progress in the game. Did you, did you try not doing it to see what would happen? I didn't actually. I did go ahead and do it, but man, I like, <laughs> it's like I really thought about it. Oh, no, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been in those positions before. It's really weird. Um, because you really have no idea what's going to happen and, and how the story is going to go after that. I've never played Splinter Cell, so it's really interesting to hear that that stuff's in there. Are there other games that you've had that experience with? 
that's probably the biggest one. I, I wish I, I gamed more. I've certainly been doing it a lot more in the last year. Gaming online with oh, friends yeah. has been a big part of my social interaction, but it's been mostly you know, Gears of War mm-hmm. and online shooter. So there, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of, of moral morally challenging storyline in these. <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess with some of those, you're, you're playing against people, right? Uh, if you're playing yeah. the, the kind of arena mode or whatever it is. I don't yep. play a lot of those, so I don't know. But do you have any hesitations at, like, shooting your friends in these games? Well, usually when I'm playing with friends, we're on the same team. And oh, uh, when see. it comes to playing with st- with strangers, I'm usually the one being shot at. <laughs> uh, rare, <laughs> Far more often than I'm the one <laughs> taking out others. I am yep. usually the target that makes other people feel really good about their but, skill. But to quote the, uh, the Tenth Doctor, <laughs> but the moral high ground is yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I could. Usually... I just, I just choose not to. I'm the pacifist <laughs> in the arena. <laughs> that's why. That's why I get shot all the time. Just you say game that. over, folks. Yep. Yeah. That uh, that is the role that I play as well. I think it's an important uh, function in the ecosystem of those games for someone to do that. It's good for other people's self-esteem. They need to feel like the hours they put into this game are worthwhile, and you know them kicking my butt. You know, yep. gives them that. Yeah, I mean, you're. you're uh, that's a very saintly thing to do. I, I'm, I admire you. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You, you have the games where where you're presented with a certain moral choices or things like that. You know, going back to like some of the early Ultimas, really, where where the mm-hmm. idea was to try and live a a, uh, a chivalric life, and that had. Um, that had consequences for, for you as a character. There's something more along the lines of, well, TIE Fighter, okay, I was going to say example where, you know, you end up playing for the bad guys or something like that, right? And so that's kind of a baked-in thing rather than choice. Yeah. Um, you know, then you have the things like uh, like Bioshock where really uh, some of the bits that, you you know, you find out later on, um, you find out afterwards, I suppose, about certain things and, and mm-hmm. not to... Uh, trying to avoid spoilers and things like that of of what you could have done that would have been better. You know, th- there are a few games like that where, like, you know, you figure there's no consequences to this, and later on you find out there are consequences. But, you know, is it is it better to have those decisions when you don't know um, or you do? And, th- and then there's things like The Last of Us, which I, I haven't played, or things that, that have, you know, where it's really baked into the storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, but, I mean, me personally... Um, I, I, I play like, you know, uh, Waluigi and, and Bowser and, and Wario. So clearly that's my, <laughs> that's my level of, uh, it's uh, interesting you mentioning Bioshock. That one was such a well-constructed, at least the first two, such well-constructed mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. And I realized not only with that, with some other ones as well, I'm trying to remember the name and it's blanking on me. Whenever I realize that there is an option to do a, like a non-lethal or a more compassionate way to play the game, I, I know that that's how I I tend to play them. Bioshock is a, a pretty interesting example because uh, you definitely, I, I think this is a non-spoilers part of it, but you have the choice whether to save the little sisters or harvest yeah. their yep. energy. Um, and I, I pretty much always save them. I yep. usually cannot <laughs> bring myself yeah. to kill those kids. Um, you mentioned another one that I thought was interesting too. What was the other game you mentioned just now? Bioshock and I mentioned. I'm trying to think of this. Uh, Well, I'm sure it'll come back. So, I mean, some of the games that that spring to mind for me. In fact, the most recent one is I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a strange name for a game that basically it's a post-apocalyptic scenario. 
Uh, you are this girl who's been raised as an outcast. So, like, everyone has basically reverted to, um, I don't know, Bronze Age? I don't, I don't know which age it is, but basically uh, ancient uh, technology and culture and everything. Uh, so there's there's basically tribal culture where you are, and you're an outcast from the tribe, and eventually you get accepted, and then you... Um, uh, I'm spoiling things now, but it, you, you end up roaming around basically and meeting a bunch of different people. And I met a character today, an NPC who was um, basically Dexter. <laughs> he right. I've never watched Dexter, but from what I understand, so he he basically was a soldier. He really enjoyed killing people, maybe a little too much, and so now he just only kills bandits. Um, and you have the option, it's not even to do anything, it's just to say, do I approve of this or not? You know, like, is this for the greater good, or you're kind of a psycho, basically, are the choices. And I had to sit and think about that one for a few minutes. I'm like, no, you're basically a psycho. <laughs> um, but there are a few more explicit moral choices, but that's one of the, the most recent ones that I think about. Uh, Skyrim's another one. Uh, any of the games where you can steal from people? Mm -hmm. uh, so like all the fallouts and everything, uh, it's it's really tough for me to be the guy who steals from from people, especially innocent people. There's a thing in Skyrim where you, if you do a certain thing, you are basically given the option to join a cult of assassins or an organization of assassins, basically. Oh yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's that's a yeah, spooky little sequence. Um, but I remember feeling like, oh my god, what did I do to get mixed up with these people? Uh, See, but that has I, a lot more consequence than than like something mm -hmm. like a um, like a, you know Might and Magic Six, which is a um, old favorite game of mine or whatever. But you know, there's uh, there's in addition to you know the four elemental magics, there's a light and dark magic, and in order mm -hmm. to be in order to be light, you have to be saintly as your reputation, and if you want to get dark magic, or you want to excel on it all the way and get mastery of it, you have to be notorious. And so, like, I mean, literally, that you know, for to get the notorious, you have to go like you know, mass genocide of the populace or something like that. Um, of course, oh my they, gosh. Eventually, they eventually respawn, but uh, and it's also the fact that you can do that, get the mastery, and then there's ways to like immediately boom, get get everything wiped and your reputation back to normal. So where's the consequence in that? And you can get both light and dark magic. At the same time, I think later later ones in the series, which I kind of stopped playing, but they made you choose one path or the other. And and uh, in fact, the second one, uh, that there are, I know seven has you choose between like uh, a couple of quests, one or the other, and you don't have a choice. And that's either a um, you know a, a light side or a dark side type thing, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. But but that feels less con uh, th uh, that feels of less consequence than what you're describing for uh, for uh, for Fallout. Yeah. Um... One of the reasons this topic is on my mind is because I'm currently playing a cleric in our D&D campaign, and I often end up doing that because nobody else kind of wants to, and I'm like, well, we need a healer, so I'm going to be <laughs> a cleric. Um, but I also kind of enjoy it in some ways, uh, even though it doesn't really, it's it's very much not who I am in real life, but um, but my character is a good character, and we have a, we have several, I think, chaotic neutral type characters, or characters who are acting that way. Um... And so my character is always the goody two shoes who has to like grab them by the collar and pull them back from doing something horrible. Uh, and I started thinking, well, I don't know, maybe I should be playing an evil character. Maybe it would be more fun. And I started thinking about how I could do it and sort of live with being in that person's head and how to make that work in a, a party situation. 
And I think I've just about cracked it, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't really want my cleric to die, so we'll see what happens. But uh, so this is going this, this is going to a, a far extreme. But uh, there's a group um, that does self defense classes for women, and it involves one person who's being the attacker. Oh yeah, and they're in like full gear, mm-hmm. and part of the job is not just to be a target. But to say things that are so offensive mm. and disturbing that it puts the the person in the class in a very triggered state, so they learn uh-huh. how to react when they're highly triggered. Oh my gosh! But it's a really hard thing to do, and the people who do it, it's a it takes an emotional toll because you have to go to a really dark place mm-hmm. in order to become that person, even though you're doing it for the benefit of people in the class. It's it again. It seems to take a toll on people who who do it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know if I could handle yeah. that. Oh, but I mean, I I totally see how it's helpful to have that perspective as opposed to well, here's somebody who's going to help you practice, and you're not prepared for the emotional state that you're in in an actual moment of danger. Yeah, um, interesting. yeah, it it feels weird to come back to games now, but I do want to mention the only game, <laughs> <laughs> the only game where I have been able to successfully and enthusiastically play and actually prefer playing evil characters, um, or characters who are technically on the evil side and that's the old republic which is the star wars mmo um and i i consistently play well i don't consistently play i've played all the characters but i consistently enjoy the most the sith characters and the dark side characters um and it's interesting how they handle that in that game because you can do some pretty awful things but a lot of being a sith seems to consist of killing other Sith. <laughs> so uh, you do spend an awful lot of time, even if you're supposedly evil, killing people who are also clearly evil. Um, so that may help a little bit, but there's something about it that I really do enjoy. Um, and the other thing that's weird about it is I find it easier to make the evil choice when my character is female. So I started out playing huh. a female Zabrak, which is the uh, Darth Maul race. Um, and I have no problem having her just like be rude and like screw over everyone and like <laughs> do exactly what she wants. But it's it's slightly weirder sometimes when it's a male character, and I'm not sure why that is. But it's it's an interesting thing that I observed in myself. I mean, is that just farther from your identity? Closer to who you are? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Uh, I I don't think that I'm female, but uh, oh, I see the no, male I, character. I meant, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's uh, harder to maybe do the closer you are to, to your real character, to your real life persona. Maybe it could also be that I, I uh, let the female character be angrier at the way she's treated because when you start out as a Sith in this game, you're you're basically a slave who's competing for the right to be trained as a Sith, and so everyone is abusive to you on that basis as well. So um, I don't know why that should make it easier for me to uh, have the female character be mad at everyone and but I, I don't know anger. it just is huh. maybe she feels more justified somehow I, I don't know how to explain it but it was it was really interesting to have that feeling um and I still feel that way about the Sith characters that side is is much more fun to play I feel like uh the the good side tends to be rather dull at least for the Jedi evil will always triumph because good is dumb <laughs> and the moral <laughs> of the story is <laughs> Dark um, 
that is a great segue, but I, I just want to sort of, I, I don't know if you guys have any other comments. I, I sort of want to wrap up by saying um, that I feel like there are two kinds of people and there are some people who um, really enjoy the opportunity to be bad in a game and just go, it's just a game. It doesn't really matter. Um, so that's a fun way to sort of like have that experience and it doesn't affect them in any way. And there are some people like me who just find it so hard to do it even in a game. Um, well, and I don't know what that difference is. I feel like those other people are probably more well-adjusted in some ways, but I don't know. You know, that, that's, that's interesting because we, we, we talked about games, we talked about video games, we talked about role-playing games and we've talked about, uh, like self-defense and, and I guess you could put theater in there as well. Right. In terms oh yeah. Of, you know, do you enjoy playing bad? And, and you know, how much if you, you know, you could talk about like, you know, was Heath Ledger affected by playing the Joker and things like that? You know, how much of that does that really burrow into your, your psyche? You know, I mean, um, I mean, I, I'm trying to think in terms of characters that I've played on stage that have been... Uh, I can't think of ones that have been evil. I think of ones that have been probably the most, you know, um, uh, Wilfred the Jailer in, in GNS is kind of a... Um, in Yeoman of the Guard is... Uh, he's, he's not evil by any stretch of the imagination, but he's he's certainly not the protagonist, I'll put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. That sort of stuff is actually uh, is actually fun. Yeah, it's it, that phenomenon is interesting. I was just thinking about what I tend to do in improv, which is where I've done most of my performing these days. Um and I do play a lot of characters who are villainous in order to set them up as being the fall guy in a way. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll play characters who are clearly supposed to uh, have someone else get the upper hand on them. And that's very fun, but also I'm, I'm kind of helping them get the upper hand on those characters in a way by making them uh, so clearly ridiculous. Yeah, I think there's a notion of, of, of severity and consequence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was thinking when you mentioned theater. So one of my most fun roles in, in high school, I got to play the dentist in Little Shop. Oh yeah, wow! Incredible I played Seymour role. in high school. <laughs> oh nice! <laughs> I wanted so, to play the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dentist is a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, but it's so comical that you know even the the sort of misogyny of it isn't you know you know he gets his, his comeuppance, mm -hmm. um, and it, again it's not it, it doesn't feel as realistic. And I, and I was kind of thinking about that with respect to some of the games and, you know, maybe even with the improv, they're not, and again, maybe it's why the Splinter Cell came out as so different. It was one where the consequences felt a little bit more real. Mm -hmm. I think the games try and make it easy for you not to have the moral choice, to make it easy for you to play the game and, and kill the NPCs and not feel bad about it. They make them notoriously bad and one-dimensional mm -hmm. so you don't have to have the sort of moral quandary which frankly most people probably don't want to have i mean it's a heavy thing to sit down to play a game to do uh even if it's sort of educational in a way i know that there are games where uh i think it's called gods will be watching and it's a game i started playing and you um supposedly there are a lot of moral choices in it i think that it starts with like a hostage situation or something um, and I just didn't get too far because I'm like, this is not what I'm going to do with my leisure time is have this, you know, incredibly tense moral decision to make, uh, you know, and, and probably lose no matter what in some fashion. Uh, and have you heard of the game Papers, Please? Yes. No. Okay. This is a game where uh, it kind of, as I recall, it looks a little bit like Carmen Sandiego to me. <laughs> it's It's kind of deliberately retro um and the premise of the game is you're in uh i forget if it just feels like an eastern bloc country in the cold war era or if it 
is explicitly one of those. But the whole game, at least the part that I played, is you looking at people who are coming through and deciding whether to allow them into the country or not. I think that's what it is. And you're supposed to basically spot oh the spies and, and would-be assassins and undesirables, basically. Uh, so you're responsible for essentially, you know, uh, gatekeeping that situation and, and quite possibly screwing over some innocent person that you thought seemed like a, a suspicious person. So there's a whole genre of these games where it just doesn't seem like it's any fun. And uh, I get why people make them. I, th I think on a certain level they're interesting, but it's not something I can enjoy myself at very long. But things we can enjoy ourselves doing are watching Blackadder. Good segue. So maybe we should do that. Nice segue, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, a quick interlude, as we always do, so that if you want to skip this incredibly interesting discussion, which I don't know why you would, uh, and if you're hearing this, you probably didn't. Uh, so we'll, we'll take that quick interlude and come back and watch Blackadder's Christmas Carol. Be right back. All right, we are about to watch Blackadder's Christmas Carol. Uh, we are all queued up, and as you know, uh, because you've probably been through all the episodes up to now, we're going to go 3, 2, 1, play. We're all going to start playing from the beginning and uh, enjoy this episode. So, uh, if everyone is ready, 3, 2, 1, play. still love that this is a mustache shop i know i think in my vhs copy i missed a couple frames here oh really are you watching it on vhs yeah. no no the one i used to watch oh, now oh. I, I was gonna say that would be extraordinary i do have a vhs but it's uh it's in the ba it's in the basement i pull it out if i find an old tape and i'm trying to figure out what's on it oh i still gosh. keep it around for that I've got a few that have never come out on DVD, but I don't know what I'm ever going to do with them. Yeah, I there were I had a few of those, and I just end up digitizing them. Got got an adapter, and yeah, digitized them, and probably never watched them since. <laughs> yep. Jim Broadbent and Mary Margulies, uh, couple again. I'll have one too, please. So I said I do love about this episode that things that he would have normally said insultingly, in this case he says uh, lovingly, but it's the same insult. Lovingly, insultingly, yeah. yeah. Be interesting to see more of this character, a whole series with him. 
How did you know that was the word then? <laughs> I feel like there's a line missing. I thought there was something about the kids wanting to uh, wanted an Easter play where they nail up the dog. Oh my God! <laughs> That's funny. They had that in my version. Seriously. Oh. Yeah, they took it I out just, of mine. I just watched it. Fascinating. Well, they, yeah, they edited out of the Hulu version. I do like that Queen Victoria is holding the holy hand grenade. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and Albert in this one is pretty much doing the Hagrid joke all the time. I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's true. expressions at him <laughs> she's always had the wonderful bulgy eyes you know when she was uh, lady white adder yep oh and is the uh spanish infanta <laughs> i don't know if you're gonna get presents for a queen they gotta be better than a cushion a wrap and a nutcracker <laughs> <laughs> yeah those, those do seem very modest pretty lame and speaking of modest she should have gotten it, her uh, mustache. <laughs> For Nutcracker, that would be mustachios. <laughs> All I can think of Charlie Brown Christmas. It wasn't such a bad little tree.
<laughs> Up yours, ugly! <laughs> All right, and greetings to your son, Vivian. All right. Yeah. I wonder what other roles she plays. She became like a writer or something afterwards of some renown from what oh. I read in Wikipedia. I remember looking at Interesting. <laughs> Gee, last time it was with some beans. <laughs> and finally a Doctor Who Black Adder crossover <laughs> before Curse of Hiddledeb You know, Colin Baker could maybe take care of this niece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I like that people laughed at that. I'm already there.
<laughs> the Herald and two people who auditioned for the Herald in season one. Yeah. Well, and that the Beatle was also in um, the earlier season. Mm. Mm, now I want nuts. I also want pie. Pecan pie. <laughs> the only problem is just think of where that turkey's been stuck. I know. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if there's anything else that they've cut out of this for like the Hulu version that was right? in the original. I also wonder if we're off timing wise now. Hmm. I think we are a little bit. You know, if he doesn't recognize them. You know, at least at least Superman wore glasses is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not much of a disguise. Especially with the uh the wigged guy standing behind them. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't see them on TV in this era, so <laughs> I love the way he says that. <laughs> and don't forget the North Minehead by election. <laughs> what i love about this is how funny it is or at least i still find it funny after watching it so many times and knowing every joke that's coming <laughs> and still laughing at them yep of course there's an inconsistency in in this uh, oh, oh there's a good part the ghostly creature <laughs> but there's an inconsistency here between this persona of Blackadder and still the sort of dirty ragged uh, Baldrick an inconsistency? well you kind of might expect that if Blackadder was being good Baldrick would be better dressed with more pairs of socks and cleaner uh, 
Maybe he just likes being this way. Well, <laughs> he's been too busy giving everything away to the poor, and, uh... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, apparently, you're right, doesn't include Baldrick. <laughs> well, it's poor, not completely destitute. Yeah. Hagrid! <laughs> You're a wizard, Edmund. <laughs> I think you pointed out that he does this in Harry Potter too. Burst through and oh yeah, yeah. Where says mystical uh, things. Where the uh, Dursleys and Harry are hiding out from all the owls that have shown up. Mm -hmm. Surgical bruise. <laughs> I got a bit of a surgical bruise. I don't know, it's surgical B R E W S. <laughs> I got the subtitles on. I know what he said. Oh, the subtitles on Hulu, it actually has B R U I S E. Mm -hmm. I, Not that that's accurate. <laughs> well, no, that's what it should be. I was just I was oh. doing a playoff on that. We've only got 45 minutes. <laughs> His face. <laughs> you know, it's funny to me that, like, Baldrick looks the same as he did in season two, but Edmund's hair is not quite right. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't find the other wig. That was on a DVD cover. I wonder if the sets all went up into mothballs and they were able to pull them back out. I assume they didn't recreate them. Yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> I love how mild he is here. Because usually he's the overbearing figure of authority. Well, I mean, uh, think of him as uh, Charles I also. Like, I mean, he's also very uh, deferential in that. Mm, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the brilliant thing about Stephen Fry, that he can play both sides so well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has enormous range in all the stuff I've seen him in. It's worth seeing his uh, Malvolio. Oh, yeah, I should check that out. <laughs> and speaking of like uh, facial expressions Nursey always has the best <laughs> the yes. best ones <laughs> he looks like Michael Sheen Blackadder, I mean. You know, I do think they missed something by not doing a uh, another reference to Lady Harrington. <laughs> Shame. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> you know considering the fact that we know what their final fates are i'd love to know how uh Melchid gets out of this yeah <laughs> 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 Mercy's laugh. <laughs> 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 
Oh, poor Melchi. She'll probably just change her mind. She always does. I love a lot of the language that I don't know, but you, you get through context. Like, have a shufty. I don't think I'd ever heard the term shufty before or since. Mm -hmm. I've heard it in a Morrissey song. Hmm. From back when Morrissey was a tolerable human being. That's such a great joke. <laughs> He's got a fried egg on his head. <laughs> the early days of Jackbox games. <laughs> That was a treasure trove of British slang. <laughs> I still want to know the story behind why he's there. <laughs> Both in and out of the story. I mean, that's supposed to be Lord Nelson, supposedly, from what I understand. But Yeah, but... I know. And as an actor, you lie there motionless, mm -hmm. sit up, two lines, and then back down. <laughs> it's like our friend Tim Harnacker could play that. I was thinking that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> OK. 
Careful, you'll wipe all your makeup off. <laughs> I want to know who that actually is. Yeah. <laughs> and now the understudy for Mabel in Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> <laughs> I love these state-of-the-art special effects here. And speaking it. of 80s era Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there's... Rice endowed. Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Glitz. <laughs> I mean, those aren't any crazier than Time Lord robes. And Zardos. You know, I love Baldrick's pose. It just yeah. makes the... Wow, Neil really shrunk. <laughs> really? 
Miranda Richardson as the Ronnie. <laughs> Her triple husbandoid. And a plasma ball is the coolest thing they could come up with there. <laughs> I do like the 80s Blackadder theme that sounds like, you know, Flash Gordon mixed with Blackadder. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even going to do the pose. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I do love the fact that we've got a turnip joke back in here. <laughs> you love those turnips. And so does Edmund. Well, Baldrick, <laughs> usually. And reverse... I love the fact, even though he's changed, at first his voice is still light and, and pleasant. Mm -hmm. And just watching how it changes bit by bit until you get to uh, Victoria and Albert. 
<laughs> the audience loves it. Ah, oh, the things we do for love. <laughs> Clearly the inspiration for that scene in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, I saw this and I was like, or the first time I saw it, I, I wasn't a kid, but pudding? Why is it solid? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been curious about the pudding through this whole episode. By well, myself. I mean, you know, an American pudding is not a pudding. Mm -hmm. And yet they still sat there the entire time. So good. Sure, I think what else has the fiance been in? <laughs> Davison to Baker. <laughs> And not a moment too soon. You know, they do cry well together. They do, yes. It must have been hard to find two people that can shriek at that, uh, my... at that frequency. <laughs> Roger by Anonymous. Must have been a tough audition lines. to sit through. <laughs> Phew, my leg hurts.
you've been here already? Maria Margolis. I love the fact she appears her head just over the chair. It's great <laughs> how this shot is lined up. I love the fact that he covers his own ears. really good right now. I've only had a salad <laughs> so far today. <laughs> Yay. Ramsey Gilderdale played uh, Perry's husband there, fiance. Philip Pope as uh, Lord Nelson. I think we determined he had something to do with the music. Yeah, I don't remember. And frequently, there must be an Alexander beverage. <laughs> Certainly when you get thirsty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do love Messy the fact Quiznas. that... You know, the fact that he... Um... Oh, yeah. I, I love the fact that in this he... Um... Uh, well, I'll save that till the 
recap, which is about to Ooh, happen. yes. We need to take a little interlude so people can hear the music and come back for our take on The Christmas Carol. All right, we are back. Uh, it is time to talk about Blackadder's Christmas Carol, uh, which, as we've noted, we have watched, uh, I guess, twice in two weeks. Uh, and as we commented, I think, during this, uh, still very, very enjoyable. Um, I'm not a big rewatcher of like. things. I don't really like rewatching things too close together, but I, I really enjoyed that the second time as well. The, uh, Jeremy, the- what were you saying? Yeah, you know, again, even just two weeks apart and, and watching it Lord knows how many times in my life, it, it's still funny, still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to, I hope you did catch that at the end, right? You would ask in the beginning how you spell Christmas without getting any of the letters right. <laughs> and they did at least give you that That's during true. the closing credits. That's true. I guess I Who would have knows? recognized that as being the word Christmas. <laughs> so good. A very messy Queeznuz to you. <laughs> it's I don't know. I, I think I could celebrate Quiznos uh, every year. <laughs> Quiznos. Quiznos. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> well, let's let's review. Uh, what what did we think of this, uh, Jeremy? You you started to say. Uh, why don't you Why don't you go ahead? Uh, you know, just still again, it's just a, a solid episode. Great, uh, great cast. You know, it it's always uh, fascinating to see some of these actors when they were much younger before mm-hmm. they went on to bigger, bigger things. Uh, you know, so many, so many people got their start with, you know, in Blackadder and some of these other earlier, earlier shows. So I think I had said when we first recorded, when they announced Robbie Coltrane to be Hagrid, I had this exact thing in my mind. <laughs> I thought, oh, he's going to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we mentioned last time how, how Hagridy he is in this. Uh, Jeff, what'd you think? I, I, you know, the, the line Turkey so large, it looked like it was Rogered by an omnibus. That line kills me every <laughs> single time I hear it. And I know exactly when it's coming up, but it doesn't matter. I, I love that line. Um, yeah, I, uh, again, to watch this, um, to watch this twice. And, you know, I mean, I will say that many times, a lot of things that I've watched enough times throughout my life, Ghostbusters, uh, even some of the Marvel movies that are on now or whatever. And as much as I've enjoyed them, uh, it's the you know what I just feel like I can't watch them anymore. I'm I'm just I'm I'm done. Uh, Blackadder has not hit that point for me yet, and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm still I'm still giggling over this. And uh, I'm reminded of the line in Hitchhikers that you know when they say you're tired of versus minor beta, you're tired of life, and the suicide rate quadrupled overnight. Uh, may that never happen for Blackadder. Is all <laughs> I'm saying. I would hope not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed this as well. I, I think this is one of the finest constructed. Blackadder episodes slash specials that they've done. Um, and it's kind of a special treat that it contains uh, the second Blackadder and the third Blackadder as well. Kind of just getting a little of everything in there. Um, and as the topic that I picked at the beginning here implies, uh, I'm fascinated by the fact that it is the reverse Christmas Carol. I mean, it's it really is fun true. that it, yeah. It, it is true that, you know, uh, we, we talked about why uh, the first Blackadder isn't in there, bes- uh, besides the fact that, um, you know, not that enjoyable. But, of course, the first Blackadder is more more it's loathsome enjoyable. and more of a cad. cad. Like, I, I think he wouldn't have necessarily fit into the message 
of, uh, I mean, you know, whereas the the second and third black adder ends up on top somehow, the first one never does, really. Yeah, that's so true. So if anything, he would be a counter-argument to that. And of course, you know, the fourth season hadn't filmed yet. Well, actually, the fourth season would have been the future as well, I guess. As I think we talked about time-wise, uh, um, Black Adder Goes Forth is probably the son of this Black Adder. So. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Uh... I think all of that is true. Uh, I think that uh, it's uh, it's really great to get that future thing in there as well. And I, I may have mentioned last time, I, I always, for some reason, think that that part is in Black Adder Goes Forth, or Black Adder Goes Back and Forth, which is the last special we'll do after we finish with Series 4. Um, yeah, I always think that whole triple husbandoid business is in there, but it's, it's a shame not, they it's didn't do this. a call. It's a shame they didn't do a callback to that in that. Just a, Just a small one would have been nice. I don't know mm-hmm. what they would have done with that, but it would have been nice. Well, that is one I genuinely have no recollection of. I think I remember a dinner table, and that's that's all I got. There's so, something that one's going to be I interesting. Remember, but yeah, <laughs> do they have dinner in that? I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything? I have one more remark, but I will save it uh, and defer to the two of you. A- anything else we want to say about this one? Uh, you know, it's funny. I think uh, somebody said, I-, I wonder what it would have been like if they had done an entire series uh, mm-hmm. with this, you know, or, or maybe the maybe the entire series with, um, you know, where he's nice for the whole season and then this happens at the very end, although you wouldn't have had the death, I suppose, that you typically have. Uh, but I was thinking, as a big Gilbert and Sullivan fan, um, you know, if they could have found a way to work them in somehow, I would have been ecstatically happy. <laughs> I, but I'm, I'm not sure that would have worked so well as a series, but I, I myself would have enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, as you pointed out, I mean, he, he does continue to make the trademark Blackadder insults and things. He just does it in such a pleasant voice uh, and and with such a pleasant attitude, which is kind of an interesting contrast, actually. Um, I, I also... <laughs> I don't know why I always get a, a real kick out of the fact that uh, Vivian's mother in this is Mrs. Scratchit always looks the same way. Like she comes in and it's like, there's Vivian's mom. Like it's, they just threw some clothes on her and she kind of did the same character. It's really funny. As opposed to uh, looking at, um, <laughs> looking at um, somebody, that, Nicola uh, Bryant looking nothing and sounding nothing like uh, Perry at all. Yeah, it is. It is a real treat, I think, to see. I mean, as as difficult to listen to as that character is, she's terrific in this. Uh, probably better than she usually is in although, Doctor Who, which is not her fault. Yeah, although uh, you know, I think uh, Jim Broadbent steals steals every moment <laughs> that he's on, he's... pretty much, which he usually does. Oh, yeah. in just about everything he's in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he oh and he and Maria make such a good double act as you know the Spanish Infanta in the first season, and then uh, he was supposed to be Lord Whiteadder, uh, but uh, had a scheduling conflict. But she was still in it. But like, um, yeah, I, uh, I I adore both of them both separately and together. Yeah, uh, it's a great double act. Uh, Jeremy, any other comments you wanted to make on this before we wrap up? You know, it's like you talked about this as being the reverse of the the typical Christmas Carol, but it's only because I think we we only see it to a certain point. It's still essentially the same morality play, mm-hmm. right? Because he gets punished in the end, so it's it's still going back to that notion of that 
you know, evil doesn't pay. That is true. Because uh, if, if he would have stayed good, he would have had the fifty thousand pounds, and uh, and the and the and the title, and you know, screw his descendants; they can wear the posing pouch. But he would have been doing really well. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I wonder how you have that progression. Like maybe maybe his son ends up in the war because of the fact that he doesn't get uh, he doesn't get the baronetcy, whereas. Um, uh, but that's where he learned some of his fighting prowess and how he got his military history as opposed to uh, the other way around where he just becomes kind of a posh knob with a bunch of money. And, and, uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, like, I mean, it's not like, look, it's not like the rich did not fight in, uh, in the world wars. Yes, they absolutely did. The military, uh, I mean, um, uh, you know, Prince Philip certainly did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, so that doesn't quite hold water. But I'm trying to think of an excuse of how you get that arc somehow. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many interesting things you could do with Blackadder. I mean, I was just thinking, what if he had been a lord? Like, how would that have worked out? I mean, obviously he was a prince in the first series, but you never really get that sense because he's he's kind of under the thumb of all the other kind of powerful people around him. And he was a noble uh, maybe in it just the second season. Work. He was oh, a noble right. in the second season, but then he's a butler in the third season. Although butler to you know, um, you know, better to be a butler to to a king or prince regent than to you know, uh, than to somebody else, I suppose. But it's it's mm-hmm. true that his um, his star in terms of rank has typically fallen further and further as the series progresses. Yeah, interesting. Well, the the comment I wanted to make about this one was. Uh, as I think I remarked last time, I, I wanted more mustaches. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wanted that mustache shop to would there be like a mustache trying on sequence, uh, or a, uh, you know, just, just some joke around the actual mustaches, which I think for some reason is a very hilarious concept for a shop. I mean, to, um, to make up for it, you get a, uh, mustachioed black adder in uh, season four. So that's true. That at least helps. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that related to the checkoff line about if there's a gun on stage it has to go off yes is, that's know, right a mustache in the shop it's i you know the, it, has it has to, to go, go on a face broke a rule of theater it goes to go on <laughs> yeah yeah well we found the one flaw in this in this show is uh the mustaches are unused checkoff's mustache that's true <laughs> oh Chekhov's and mustache almost I'm like a bad prog rock band <laughs> um <laughs> oh i would listen to that so, so. <laughs> um and we discovered that uh i almost forgot about this that there was a line that was cut uh while we we're watching it i'm sure you heard the comment but uh i guess jeff had a line that we didn't have watching on hulu uh which he did have watching on is a dvd you're watching yes about yeah. easter uh which is a fascinating thing to have cut. I'm curious where they where they cut it, but I mean, I guess yeah. The the line literally when they're talking about the kids and the and the dog was it that they were looking forward to Easter because that's when the uh, that's when the dog would get nailed up. Oh my god, that yeah. is a little bit of a grim joke, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to look at my DVD now to see if I can uh, figure that out. But yeah, it was it was pretty seamless. I didn't even notice. Interesting. Yeah, Jeff, you'll have to watch the Hulu version and then report back on on what else might be missing. Hmm. Uh, we'll record that next week. Just yeah, kidding. Or, uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Like the first time we recorded it, we knew that we were slightly out of sync and didn't know uh, out of sync and didn't know why. And I guess that's what happened. And this time we discovered oh. it really easy. In fact, in fact, literally, you were saying that just as the joke completed for me, which was hysterical. Like, like I just laughed through that joke, and then you're like, "Well, if only there were a joke about the dog, uh, about the dog getting nailed up." And I'm like, "I just heard that." Did I say that? I remember that, and I remembered it. And when we when we did it the first time, I thought this 
something in my brain is like, there's something missing here. Like, I've seen this enough yeah. times that I know there's a joke See, missing this here. This is why we watched it again. There you go. Oh, my gosh. This is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there's been other stuff that's been cut out. I mean, mostly I've been watching it on BritBox, but... Uh... Well, I've been watching it on, on the DVD, and I think we've seemed like we've been pretty much all synced up between the two of us. So that's true. I, I, th- I don't think there's another case of it, but I'm not sure. That's a very good... Hmm question i know like for the young ones too that that there were bits that were you know there was certainly one joke that we talked about or one sequence that we talked about from one episode that uh made us kind of uncomfortable and we're like oh yeah i can see why that was cut um <laughs> yeah i mean there's also a bit that was cut um due to rights issues for the young ones where uh subterranean mm-hmm. homesick blues was was cut for uh rights issues but yeah mm. um uh, so weird uh well, Jeremy, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it. You have another podcast of your own, which is also about British comedy, right? <laughs> uh, half of that statement is true. <laughs> I will be launching a podcast very soon, not about British comedy. It is about the decline in effectiveness of user experience and software design. And I, I interview a number of experienced folks and get their take on it. Not mm-hmm. only where we are and how we got here, but things that we can do to try and make it better. So if you're in the software design community, you can look for the upcoming launch of Saving UX, and you can sign up for notifications at sux, for Saving UX, sux.live. <laughs> I still love that URL. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to listening to it uh, because, of course, we are in the same line of work, and uh, I'm interested in finding out what other folks that you're going to be talking to have to say about that subject. So. Very much looking well, forward to that. Two, two episodes recorded, and once I have the third one, which should be this week, then uh, once they're edited, I will start releasing them probably weekly as I get uh, new guests on and make more recordings. Perfect. Nice. Well, thank you again for joining us uh, for this. Uh, in fact, for joining us twice. Uh, My it pleasure, actually twice. <laughs> I, I think we've just about equaled that award-winning uh, first version we were going to have, but unfortunately, no Rowan Atkinson <laughs> calling in. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was the after episode proctology discussion that kind of put him off, but uh, that was really personal. I, um, I did go into some pretty deep places, uh, so that, uh... hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, maybe he'll forgive me for a future episode and and pop in. Uh, but until then. Uh, it's time for us to sign off. This has been Drew. This has been Jeff. And this has been Jeremy. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. <laughs> Thank you.